Today is Valentine's Day. Whether you celebrate it or not, everybody knows what today is. And uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, right? Okay. And so there's always questions and concerns and, and, <laughs> and disagreements and, and talk about these things. And uh, thankfully, here I am. I am just, uh, I'm an officer in the army of God. <laughs> and uh, I belong to Jesus. And I don't care about anything except doing his will and, uh, and bringing him glory and helping others to come into relationship with him no matter where they've been. Amen. We're kind of a melting pot here, and that's a good thing. I don't care if you come from a, a Catholic, uh, Methodist, a Lutheran, Pentecostal, atheist background. Uh, with the exception of the latter, you can still hang on to those titles if you like. I don't care. Uh, we're all welcome here. We all just love Jesus. And we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And I, I just want to, I, I enjoy Valentine uh, Day because of the history of it. And actually the sentiment of Ash Wednesday and Lent and all that too. But I want to talk a little bit and kind of put it into perspective, okay? Okay. Yes, sir. You're learning. You're learning. I want to read something to you. St. <laughs> Valentine was a priest of Rome who was imprisoned for securing or helping persecuted Christians. Contemporary records of St. Valentine were mostly probably destroyed in the 4th century, but many believe that St. Valentine was persecuted as a Christian and interrogated by Roman Emperor Claudius II in person. Claudius was impressed by Valentine and had a discussion with him attempting to get him to convert to Roman paganism in order to save his life. Valentine refused and tried to convert Claudius to Christianity instead. Because of this, he was executed. We say martyred. Amen. Before his execution, he's reported to have performed a miracle by healing Julia, the daughter of his jailer, Asterius. The jailer's daughter and his 44-member household Family members and servants came to believe in Jesus and were baptized. See why I like St. Valentine. Additional embellishment to the golden legend says that on the evening before Valentine was to be executed, he would have written the first Valentine card himself, addressed to the daughter of his jailer, Asterius, who was no longer blind, signing as your Valentine. The expression from your Valentine was later adopted by modern Valentine letters, of course. It's believed that St. Valentine was buried in the church of Praxedes in Rome, located near the cemetery of St. Hippolytus. This order says that according to legend, Julia herself planted a pink blossomed almond tree near his grave. Today, the almond tree remains a symbol of abiding love and friendship. Another embellishment is that St. Valentine would have performed clandestine Christian weddings for soldiers who were forbidden to marry. The Roman Emperor Claudius II supposedly forbade this in order to grow his army, believing that married men did not make for good soldiers. 
According to legend, in order to remind these men of their vows and God's love, St. Valentine is said to have cut hearts from parchment, giving them to these soldiers and persecuted Christians as possible origin of the widespread use of hearts on St. Valentine's Day. St. Valentine supposedly wore a purple amethyst ring, customarily worn on the hands of Christian bishops with an image of Cupid engraved on it, recognizable symbol associated with love and was legal that was legal under the Roman Empire. Roman soldiers would recognize the ring and ask him to perform marriage for them. Probably due to the association with St. Valentine, Amethyst has become the birthstone in February, which is thought to attract love. Okay, so, some wonderful de deeds and things about him and some myths and legends and other things that are not probably too healthy, but Take it for what it's worth, okay? I want to quickly touch on this uh, Ash Wednesday and Lent because this is a this is a hot topic in Christian world, especially when you see the denominational walls and boundaries falling ever ever more quickly as the day approaches for our Lord to return. I think if you were to ask many people in their denominational settings this morning around the country, what makes them a this or a that, they would not be able to tell you. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because we're all just in Christ. We're just Christ. And he's just coming back for a bride, not a harem. Amen? So these are all representative of the divisions of men and not of God. Ash Wednesday is the day of fasting and where they put the, the, the ashes on your head. The ashes come from the palm branches that were saved from the last year and burnt. And uh, these 40 days uh, of fasting representative of when Jesus began his ministry. Remember when he was baptized by John the Baptist and immediately was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit of God to be tested for 40 days and 40 nights. And then three and a half years later, he was crucified and rose again on the third day. But the, the last ride into Jerusalem, they had spread palm branches for him. And so all these symbols are <laughs> mishmashed into one, one big thing leading up to Easter, which is symbolic of the resurrection of Christ. So all of those things in themselves and to be in remembrance of those is not a bad thing, is it? Of course, we want to be in remembrance of the Lord and all that he's done for us all the time. And if we have special things that make us rem remember him, that's not a bad thing. That is not a bad thing at all. If we do things on the other hand, thinking that it earns us something from God, we've made a huge mistake. Because this is not grace. That becomes legalistic. If it has not been accomplished or provided be by the atonement of Jesus Christ, because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf, then it is not of God. <clears throat> and it gains you nothing. I just want to make sure that we understand the difference. The Bible says if one man celebrates or, or thinks of one day as holy and you don't, leave him alone. <laughs> it, it says if his, faith, if his faith is telling him that, then to him it is, you see. The same with eating or drinking. If somebody says, I can't eat that because of God, you know, won't allow it, then don't let him because he would it would be sinful for him to eat it if he really believed that. If it's not of faith, it's sin, you see? 
But let me tell you what Paul said. The greatest grace preacher of all time. Paul was not one who was with the Lord during his ministry, but he came to know him on the road to Damascus one day. And after that, he said, you know, these other ones that call themselves super apostles or whatever, they, they add nothing to me. So he had been trained up in the wilderness by the Lord himself, and he was very, very noteworthy. Amen? Colossians, the second chapter, starting at the first verse, here's what Paul says. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the, are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And in Romans 14, verses 4 through 6, it says, Who are you, though, to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does it as unto the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. There. Does that help? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I've done that before, and I don't mind doing it again. You know, uh, uh, repetitiveness is, is good in God. Uh, redundancy, the word says, is good in God so that we have understanding. That's what we want. to. You're not going to gain understanding and wisdom and knowledge about God in the world. So 
here's what we'll talk about these things. Not a problem. So if any of you uh, had ashes on your forehead on Wednesday, hey, more power to you. Just make sure that your motivation is right and that you understand you're doing it as something to help you remember the Lord and to bring you closer to Him. And if you're fasting, make sure your fast is to help to clear your mind so that you can hear the Lord and to bring you closer, knowing that you are not dependent upon the elemental things of this world or the food of this world, but you have manna from heaven, which is Christ, and He is the one who sustains you. And that is the perfect way to fast and receive from God. Amen? But not... So you can go around boasting. God said if you, uh, if you go around looking like you're, oh, I'm just fasting. I'm almost finished. One more day. He said, there you just got your reward from by whoever you told. Nothing from me. Because you didn't do it for me. You were doing it so you could show off a little. <laughs> All right. That's it. It's always the motive. Remember. It's always the motive. John 13, 34 and 35. In case you don't know, most of the time I'm teaching out of the English Standard Version or the King James Version. When I'm preparing, I use about 11 or 12 different versions to make sure everything's right, okay? I love the NIV. It's what God raised me up in, but it's not that dependable in all situations, so I don't teach out of it for the most part. Just in case you want to be able to read along with me, if you had an English Standard Version, you would be fine. The King James is always reliable, reliable as well, in most cases. John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, said the Lord Jesus Christ, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Everybody, everybody reach your hand out toward Sister May. I want you all to pray for May and encourage her. She has lost a dear brother this week. And she is, uh, she is doing very well. She's encouraged in God. And she is a woman of faith. And so we do not grieve as the world grieves who has no hope. But that does not take away the pain of our loss. And there is a time of, of grieving and mourning. Amen. Amen. My father passed this morning as well. And so I... I ask that you pray for me and my family. And, uh, <laughs> but it's just like him to go. <clears throat> I think my mother had something to do with it because for him to go on Valentine's Day, which was big to them, I think uh, was altogether fitting and proper. Amen? Yes, How old was he? 86. 86. And ready to go. I had an opportunity to spend a couple of good days with him last week, and then a couple of days after that, he slipped away into, uh, you know, non-responsiveness for the most part, and and he succumbed this morning. So it's all right. Paul said, 
continuing on from where I was reading earlier in 1 Corinthians when we were receiving the offering. Starting back up at the fourth verse in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, when we love, we will never harm others. <clears throat> so, it's only appropriate that we should ask, how do I follow the way of love? Because without it, I'm nothing. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's talking about these overt acts of worship or sacrifice that we were just talking about, or piety. <laughs> the only thing that counts, Paul said, is faith expressing itself through love. No other work of righteousness except faith in what Christ has done on your behalf gets you anything from God. As far as being justified in the sight of God goes, the scripture says without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Paul was saying that faith alone is what Jesus is Requiring of us, God said the work that I require is to believe on the one he has sent. And so we're to put our faith in Jesus' finished work. And that alone, that saving faith in his saving grace, which is everything that's been provided through the atonement, is the only thing required for salvation. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven on that day, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In Matthew 7, 21. What did Jesus mean by this? It sounds like I have to do some things to earn God's favor. <laughs> no. But saving faith will produce righteous works in and from us, right? So by the fruit, we can determine things that are actually done in faith or might be a counterfeit. 
James said, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you mine by my works. But the actions of faith, or more specifically, faith expressed through love, is not the cause, but the effect. It doesn't earn us our relationship with God, but it's the byproduct of that relationship with God. (coughs) For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That's Ephesians 2.8. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul said. When he was agonizing over his own people, the Jews. In Romans chapter 9, starting at the 31st verse, he said, But Israel, he's talking about those who perished in the wilderness. He said, they were pursuing a law of righteousness. But they did not arrive at that law. In other words, they were never able to accomplish it. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, he said. That's Jesus. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in me, Jesus, will not be disappointed or made ashamed. So, no Jesus, no faith. No Jesus, no real love. Back to Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, true saving faith always expresses itself through love. God's kind of faith will always have actions that conform to the commands of God's word. Do you see that? This love for a Christian is not optional. Okay? Go to Jeremiah, the second chapter. I love Jeremiah. Remind me of me, the reluctant prophet (laughs) who finally surrendered to God. (laughs) Doubted himself and God said, it's not you (laughs) anyway. Just do what I tell you. (laughs) It's me. (laughs) So go do it. (laughs) Paul Paul was an interesting character, but he was he was as strong in the word. Amen. I find to be myself more like Peter <laughs> or like Jeremiah, somebody who always is battling with something. We've been learning about the land of promises which Jesus has led us into. Amen. And we're using types and shadows set out for us in the Old Testament by the children of Israel being led into the promised land out of bondage in Egypt. And I want you to 
for the rest of this message. I want you to, as the, as the world is today, to be focused on your water source. <laughs> water is very important to the life of all creatures, isn't it? And especially a Christian. You'll see what I mean. Jeremiah, the second chapter, starting at the first verse, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest, all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend for cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care, See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no other gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that, cisterns that cannot hold water. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That was Jeremiah prophesied about the children of Israel and how they had gone astray. Types and shadows, pictures put there for us, actually pointing to the future time as well when those in the church Israel now would do the same. Jesus took it up again after he was gone back to heaven in Revelation, the second chapter. From the King James Version, he says this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, 
and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So these are the good things. Nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And then moving up in Revelations 3, at the 15th verse, he said, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's Jesus talking now, not me. You say, as I have on many, many occasions, how do I get back to the place I was? How do I get back to the place I was when I was truly born again to the love and enthusiasm I felt when I came to know the Lord? Do do you remember his call to you? The call to which you responded initially? Jesus said in Matthew 11, he says, Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Was it something like that that got your attention? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says the Lord. Remember when Jesus stood up on the last day of the great feast and he said, he cried out to everyone. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, or out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now here's... Here's the key. And I'll say this as long as I live. The key to loving the way that we are called to love. John said it in 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. We need a revelation of how he loves us. When we turn away to the world, when we don't spend time in the word, it will cause us to lose our mindfulness of his love toward us. Hardness of heart, it's called. And it doesn't have to be done on purpose. It happens just on its own. If you don't, Spend time with him on purpose. 
We will begin to feel self-sufficient. We are so blessed in this nation. And even when we have hard times, we've got it way, way better than the majority of the world. And we sometimes begin to feel like we've done that. Self-sufficient. We start to dig our own wells, as it were, or cisterns, instead of drawing on the well which provides life-giving living water. Many times we ministers preach about the necessity of Christians to love one another. And that's all true. Especially other Christians. So that's, that's correct. It's not wrong teaching. Jesus said, by all this, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. So it is necessary. It's, it's something he's called us to. And it's very, very important. This is our most distinguishing characteristic as Christians, I would say. But we can't give away what we have not received. Trying to love others without having received in our hearts, in our minds, the love of God is like trying to give someone else a drink from a well that has gone dry. Jesus is the source of the living water. Jesus is the source of all love, joy, and peace. And you have to spend some time seeking Him and coming to know Him and to receive from Him daily the love that He requires for you to in turn give away. Proverbs 8, 17, God says, I love those who love me. I love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. I love that proverb. God created you in his own image. He has a soul. That's our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. And he is love. Do you think he doesn't want to be loved? Do you? <laughs> he says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. That promise, I latched onto when I came into my salvation. And I held him to it. And oh, did he ever show off for me. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 12.3, He says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. These Old Testament prophets, they, they saw it. They saw it. They, got, they understood what was coming for us. This salvation... They really were longing for it, to experience it, to know what we have today. And they never got to. But they heard it by the Spirit. 
Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He was prophesying the things that Jesus would say hundreds of years later, fulfilling those prophecies. Ezekiel did the same thing. Ezekiel 47, 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, that's you, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. (laughs) So where the river flows, everything will live. Praise God. Jesus is the source of this living water. I can't wait to see that river that flows from the throne of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He went on to say, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves, the things that I do. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, remember what Dennis told you all earlier? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus wants to do those things that he did here through you. In case you don't know or have an idea about that much about the life of Jesus, It said in Acts, I think, 1038, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard of this Jesus of Nazareth who God anointed with power and the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil? This kind of faith, it comes by hearing this word. Faith-filled words. Alive and active, this book. You know, we naturally have more trust in those who we know love us first. We just do. You look at a child. They run to their mother or father because they know that they love them and they're there to protect them and provide for them. And they'll act all kind of crazy around them. <laughs> Knowing that they got to forgive them. And <laughs> this is the same way our Father in Heaven loves us. And He cares for us. But we need a revelation of His unconditional love. When we really know and believe or rely upon. That's what John said. First John three sixteen, I think, or four sixteen. We have known, we have known and relied upon the love that God has for us. That is, that is powerful. When you have known and relied upon, it's a picture just like when John was leaning up against the Lord of the night of the Last Supper. He relied upon the Lord's love for him. He had an awareness, a revelation of it. 
It'll make our faith naturally abound in us and through us. Anyone who's struggling with faith simply has a lack of understanding of how much God loves them. Jesus knew that the Father loved him, and it made his faith and his love for others very strong. And you have everything that he had. If you're born again, you have all the love, joy, and peace in your born-again spirit that you'll ever need. You just have to learn to draw on it and practice using it. You have the very mind of Christ, the new nature of God inside of you. Peter tried it in his own strength, and he failed miserably. But once he was restored on that beach at breakfast with Jesus, he never failed again. He was powerful in his ministry. They laid people on the street just so his shadow might fall upon them and heal them when he walked by. This is the man that denied Jesus three times on the last night of his life. But Jesus restored him and it blessed him. This restoration, this love of Jesus toward him along with the Holy Spirit which came on the day of Pentecost empowered Peter to get it right. From that point on, history tells us he was crucified upside down alongside his wife, not wanting or thinking that he was entitled to be crucified in the same way as his Lord King. That's powerful. It's the goodness of God that causes us to repent. You need to reflect on the goodness of God. There a lot of teachers in the body of Christ who want you to be introspective all the time. Talk about your sin. Talk about what you have to do. Talk, preach about how you should be, need to be loving like Jesus. And that's all true. But it's really not the main thing that you should focus on. It's not going to empower you to do it. It's, it's not going to empower you to do it. For 1,500 years, the law was in place and no one... It never enabled anyone to, to, to keep it. Jesus had to come and do it for us, didn't he? Remember that God loves you. Remember also that he's jealous for you. This is the scripture that threw Oprah for a loop and she walked away from her salvation. She didn't... When she was young, she was in church, I think, with her grandmother or somebody. I could get that wrong. But she heard the preacher preach on this scripture. He was jealous. And she said, why would I want some God who's jealous of me? She didn't understand it. He's not jealous of her. He's jealous for her. He wants her to know him and to love him. And he wants to be in relationship with her. And hopefully he will be before she leaves this earth. Ephesians 3, I'm almost done. Not that almost, Chris, hold on. <laughs> Ephesians 3, Paul prayed <laughs> for you 2,000 years ago. Paul said this, he said, when I think of all this, <laughs> basically everything I'm talking about, he said, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father. Oh, man. 
How many of you seen that movie War Room? If you have not seen War Room, you need to go buy it. War Room. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. This is the New Living Translation. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. Paul didn't pray that God would give you anything. He prayed that you would have understanding of what God has already done and how much he loves you. That you would understand how wide and long and high and deep God's love is towards you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That was his prayer for you 2,000 years ago. That you would simply know all the power and love that God has afforded you through Christ. Listen. The Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. In your own strength. But Christianity isn't us living for Jesus anyway. It's about Jesus living through us. Galatians 2.20. It says I have been crucified with Christ. This should be your testimony. And you need to understand this. Because until it really sinks in and you understand that this is the reality of your salvation, then it may not be your salvation. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You think you love people well? I know some of us struggle with loving others. I, I always have. I I love really deeply. I'm a, I, I love everybody, but I I I I, uh, I uh, you know some of them are hard to love. <laughs> some of them aren't so lovely. And uh, and. Uh, and so, I, I'm not the man that I was. Thank God that he has, he has really given me a heart for his people now. And, uh, and uh, even when I seem hard, it's really because I'm trying to get through the lies and deceptions of the devil that he's woven into people's lives, you see, and get them to embrace the truth about Jesus because it's the truth that will make you free. But... I was just wondering if any of you think that you're really loving well. Some of you are just lovely people. 
But when I ask you this, I'm talking about especially other Christians, because that's what we're called to. It's required of you. Are you thinking about it? Are you, are you really loving? Let's see. Let's. I'll tell you what. Let's make it fair. Let's start with a, a show of hands, and then let's just say everybody raise your hand. Yeah, everybody's qualified at this point. And uh, let's just assume that we're loving pretty well, okay? Because I know that's all of our desire, and because we know that Jesus loved us so perfectly, and He's asked us to do the same. So. These are all of us who are loving pretty well. But the kind of love, and your hand stays up, please, until, until I say something that rules you out, okay? The kind of God, love that God requires is the kind that turns the other cheek when someone slaps you in the face. And forgives someone who would even crucify you. Murder you, hang you on a tree. <laughs> and someone, the love that he requires is when someone takes something from you, you give them more. And when they curse you, you bless them. <laughs> this kind of love, this agape, unconditional love, Congratulations, all of you. you. You are Christ. This unconditional love that God requires, it's supernatural though, isn't it? This is not the way of the world, is it? <laughs> and we can only love that way when we walk in his supernatural love. We have to continually draw from the well of God's love, the supernatural, life-giving love of God from this supernatural river of life. So loving others, you see, is the fruit, not the root of God's love for us. We have to return to the joy of knowing how much God loves us, just as we did when we came into our salvation. How exciting and and fun it was. And then you go out into the world. You think that everybody you know in your family, they're all going to get so excited to hear all this, this truth that you found out. And then you start receiving a little persecution. You find out nobody really cares and for the most part. And you start to <laughs> sink a little bit. Then time happens in a relationship, just like any relationship, and it can bring space between you and the one you're following. But, and then there's the trials of life and the busyness of life. But remember, we've learned how to close the gap, haven't we? And just to repent and run right back into his arms and keep this closeness with the Lord because it's what's necessary not as a rule to make him love you, but in order for you to have this revelation of his love towards you so that you can receive it and give it away to others. That's his requirement, and he's made all provision for you to receive this grace. It's daily. He is the daily manna from heaven, and I think you will find yourself wise to stay close to the one who loves you 
and has provided this grace for you to give away. Amen? Only then are we going to love others the way that God intends for us to. Y'all pray with me if you would. Dear Lord, thank you for teaching us how to love by loving us so perfectly. Help us to be mindful of your love, to receive of your love, so that we will always be full of your love so we can give it away to others. Help us to glorify you by our lives of love. Thank you for always being there, Lord. We are coming to know and rely upon your love for us. Thank you that you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to come here together, your children, seeking you and finding you, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for giving everything you had to redeem us by your precious blood and now making a way for us to run boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. Thank you, Father, that we are welcome in your throne room anytime, all the time. Thank you for loving us and thank you for healing everyone everywhere they hurt who hears this message, comforting us with the supernatural comfort that only you can provide through your amazing love and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.